to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 is found on page 1161. And we're reading this short passage of verses 24 to 30. And it's in the context of this passage we looked at last week on the traditions of the Jews, the cleanness and uncleanness. And that continues even into this passage. Let's read God's word. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. From there, he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying on the bed. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Now, over the summer, President Biden met Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. And before this meeting, Biden had made it clear that he believed Saudi Arabia had abused human rights. And so it's no wonder that the Biden administration sought to keep this meeting low-key. No American media were present But the Saudi media were present, and they caught the moment that President Biden fist-bumped the Saudi crown prince. And this was quickly shared around the world, much to the awkwardness of the White House. This is not the first time for a world leader to meet other controversial world leaders. There was a time President Obama met Hugo Chavez, or the British Prime Minister Tony Blair, meeting Colonel Gaddafi. Sometimes these meetings are beneficial, but often for Western leaders, they are seen to undermine the standards by which they say they're holding to. Well, in our passage today, we see another controversial meeting. Jesus meets this Syrophoenician woman, also known as a Canaanite woman in Matthew's Gospel. And it maybe doesn't seem that revolutionary to us today, But in Jesus' day, it was radical for Jesus to speak to her. This woman would have been labeled unclean by the Jews, and we'll see why. But as a result of her uncleanness, she was seen to be beyond the mercy of God. And so for our passage this afternoon, I want you to see that Jesus' mercy is not restricted. He reaches out to you this day to satisfy you. So put your faith in him. So firstly, consider you're to go to Jesus in your desperation. You're to come with humility. So Jesus leaves Galilee. He heads into Tyre and Sidon. He enters a house, and he wants no one to know about it. Well, what's going on? 
Why is Jesus being so secretive? Why would he go to Tyre and Sidon? These are not Jewish communities. They're unclean. They are Israel's bitter enemies, and they're known as a place of paganism. The last couple of weeks, we have been considering Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees' rules and traditions, and what it means to be defiled, or what it means to be unclean. And so this theme of uncleanness is continuing here in our passage. Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. He intentionally goes to this unclean place for at least two reasons. Firstly, Jesus is escaping the crowds of people and the Pharisees' scrutiny. Jesus realized that he has poked the bear. He recognizes the wisdom of getting out of Galilee as the only way to stop provoking these Pharisees. These men are out to kill him. And yet, it was not his time to die. Not yet. And so he escapes and finds rest in Tyre and Sidon. And the second reason for being there is not to teach the crowds, but he would teach his disciples. He would teach his disciples a lesson on what it means to be clean and unclean. And he would do this through this encounter with this Syrophoenician woman. It soon became known that Jesus was in town. His reputation had preceded him. And we read of this in Mark chapter 3, in verse 7. A great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So earlier in Jesus' ministry, uh, people from Tyre and Sidon had come to hear Jesus. But now the man who can perform these wonderful miracles of healing, removing demons, he's nearby. And so we read of this woman coming to Jesus for help. Notice as soon as she hears about Jesus, she tracks him down, comes to the house, and falls at his feet, begging for help. Well, what brought this desperation to this woman? Well, we read her daughter is demon-possessed. Demonic activity, it ruins people's lives. It would cause this woman's daughter to be prone to fits. She would mutilate herself. She would seek her own death. We notice already in the Gerasene demoniac, he was kept outside of the city because of the trouble and the upset he caused the people. Well, this mother would not want to watch her own daughter continue in this awful and destructive existence. She's desperate for help. She had heard that Jesus could remove demons, and so she begged Jesus to come and to help her. It didn't matter that he was a Jew and she was not. She would happily break with social convention if it meant help for her daughter. In Matthew's account, the disciples urged Jesus to send her away. That's how much she's pleading. She'd now become irritating to the, the, the disciples. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law work for MD Anderson down in Houston, Texas, which is a world-leading cancer hospital. They have patients from all over the world who know about MD Anderson's record of success. And so they, people are willing to spend thousands of dollars. They'll sell their homes. They'll take out loans. They'll raise money by asking family and friends anything 
to raise support for their child to give them a chance of survival. They are desperate to get to this hospital and receive its treatment. Well, that's the same desperation that this woman has. And so it's no wonder she begs. She's on her knees. She desperately needs Jesus to remove this demon. Her hands are open, asking Jesus to provide for her need. Well, this is how you come to Jesus. Not with pride. You know, you come with humility. Not with hands holding on to all that you've done, your stuff, your achievements, your righteousness. No, you come on your knees seeking his help. You likewise desperately need him. Well, secondly, consider, recognize Jesus doesn't always respond in the way that you expect. So Jesus responds to this woman who is in great need, this woman who has shown Jesus the utmost respect, respect that he hadn't received from his fellow Jews. He responds to her in a shocking way. He's harsh. He's cold. He doesn't say, yes, I'll help. Instead, he's cryptic, and he seems to be calling this woman a dog. Now, our view of dogs in the West are very different than the views that people in Palestine would have in Jesus' day. Dogs would not be seen as a man's best friend. Instead, dogs are scavengers. They run around the city in packs, eating from the refuge. But dogs were also the way that the Jews described Gentiles, just as Pastor Rich mentioned this morning. And so it was a derogatory term. So is Jesus making a racist remark here? Is he deliberately insulting? Well, Jesus doesn't actually use the word dog, but little dog. The word refers to a domesticated pet, a small dog rather than a dirty, mangy dog from the streets. But it's still not a compliment. Is Jesus just tired and desperate for a rest, that he's annoyed at this woman constantly disturbing his rest, and that's why he calls her this? That's not consistent with who Jesus is. Jesus spoke in various ways. Sometimes he used humor. Sometimes he was cutting. Sometimes he was gentle. Other times he expressed his authority in his speech. Well, here Jesus is speaking in code. It's a parable to this woman. Now, interestingly, in Matthew's account, which is a little longer, Jesus tells a woman that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that did not put her off, and she continued to beg and ask for help. The Jews, including Jesus' disciples, would not believe that this woman could ever be part of the covenant community of Israel. Women in themselves were seen as second-class citizens. She was a Syrophoenician, meaning she wasn't even a Jew. A Jewish man often prayed, Thank you, Lord, that I am not a woman, I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave. Well, this woman fulfills at least two of these categories. And she's also a Greek. That's an enemy of Israel. She's part of this Hellenistic culture that worships Greek gods and Greek goddesses. And so she was a pagan. And she had a daughter who was demon-possessed. This woman was as unclean as you can get. There are countless barriers for her to get to before she gets to Jesus. 
This woman did not have much going for her, and she was making herself a nuisance, many obstacles in her way. And yet she believed that Jesus could help her. The one final obstacle is the parable that Jesus spoke. Let the children be fed first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, the little dogs. In this parable, Jesus is speaking about priorities. Now, in our family, we don't have a dog, but for families that have dogs, I'm sure this is the case. I hope this is the case. At dinner time, when the children's mouths are watering, they're hungry, maybe they're even grumpy because they're so desperate for food, who do you feed first? Well, do you feed your dog or do you feed your children first? Well, you feed your children first. They are your priority, even over your dog. Well, Jesus' priority was for the Jews. He came to the Jews first. His parents were Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish village. His ancestry goes through the line of David. Jesus came to the Jews first. We see this in his ministry. And Jesus is saying to the woman, I have come for the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel. That does not put the woman off. If that is the case, well, why is Jesus here in Tyre and Sidon? And the woman has picked up on that. There may be different obstacles between you and Jesus. Maybe your family wouldn't approve of your interest in Christ. Your husband or your wife are not a believer. What would they think if you came to know Christ? Your job or your studies is not compatible to being a Christian. Or maybe Jesus' words are an obstacle to you. Often Jesus' words can be hard to make sense of. Jesus seems to be asking too much. Turn the other cheek. Carry your cross. Let the dead bury their own dead. That does not mean you give up. No, you trust him. Remember the surprising way that Jesus responded to the rich young ruler who asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him to sell all his possessions. The young man went away sad. He had many possessions. Well, Jesus was helping that man see that his trust was not in Jesus. It was in his wealth. Likewise, Jesus appears to be withholding from this woman that his grace is only for other people, but it's only to make her more determined to press him for help, is to help his disciples understand that he came not for the clean, but for those who put their faith in him. And so thirdly, consider you are to place your faith in Christ, verse 28. Parables have been described like stained glass windows. Stained glass windows, they only make sense from the inside. From outside, they often look dull. It's impossible to understand their meaning. But inside, when the sunlight shines through them, they look beautiful. They tell a story. They make sense. And so stained glass windows can only work for those in the inside of the church building. Those on the outside, they miss out. Well, parables operate in the same way. There are those who understand them, and there are those who are confused by them. And often Jesus' uh, Jesus' parables are met with confusion. 
But here is someone who gets Jesus' teaching. She understands Jesus' parable, unlike Jesus' disciples, who were often slow. No, this woman, she knew who she was in the parable, but she also knows that she needs bread. She recognizes her humble position in the parable. She seeks Jesus' help and mercy, understanding that if the Jews receive it first, then that implies there must be seconds. And she's happy to be second if that means that she gets bread. This humble woman is here at Jesus' feet, seeking the crumbs from the table. And so Jesus had not closed the door in this woman, but he was gently holding it to see if she would press forward in faith. And she presses forward. She has faith that Jesus is merciful and that he can help her. Scrivener writes, essentially, the woman blurts out, just give me crumbs, whatever I can get. She knows that Jesus is the solution to all her problems. If she can just get a morsel of Jesus, she'll be happy. Essentially, she says, put me second, Jesus. I don't mind. Feed your people first. That's okay. I know I'm outside the covenant people of God. I do not presume to come to your table trusting in my own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. I might be second. So then give me seconds. In Matthew's rendering of this passage, Jesus tells her, O woman, great is your faith. Jesus speaks of the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. He doesn't speak of his disciples in this manner. He doesn't speak of the Pharisees in this manner. No, he credits this woman for her faith in him, despite the many obstacles in her way. This woman who would have been deemed unclean is the one who recognizes Jesus. She had no theological understanding or education. She had no Jewish background. And yet she recognizes Jesus' authority. She is the one who places her faith in him. And so we come to Jesus this afternoon, not as Jews, but as Gentiles. We come not as children at the table, but as dogs under the table. We are not deserving. We, like her, are deemed unclean because of our sin. We've thought bad thoughts of others. We've said angry words or words to bring others down. We've done even terrible things. You and I, we are unclean. But like this woman who recognized her lowly position, you're to recognize your lowly position and recognize your place in this parable and recognize that Jesus is the one who provides. Only he can make you clean. Only he can restore you and fulfill you. So where have you placed your faith this afternoon? Too often we trust in our own intelligence, thinking, I'll find the solution myself. Or maybe we're trusting in our wealth, thinking, as long as I have money, I'm fine. Or maybe you're trusting in your future job prospects, thinking, I'm going to get a job that will give me security. Or I'm going to get a spouse, and that spouse will provide me with security. No, none of these things will do that. They will only disappoint. You're to put your faith in Christ. Only he is the solution to your problems. Well, fourthly, consider you are to know Jesus' satisfaction, 
to provide for you. This woman comes to Jesus pleading, begging, recognizing that Jesus is the only one who can help. And she's certainly right about that. Jesus tells the woman that because of her response, the demon has been removed from her daughter. The woman obviously takes Jesus at his word. She believes him. She doesn't demand that Jesus come home with her. And when the woman returns home, she finds her daughter lying on the bed. The demon is removed, is out of her. Lying on her bed speaks of lying in peace. Jesus has restored this daughter. He has removed the evil that had possessed her. He brings her back to the dignity to which God had made her. Jesus has authority over evil. Well, just imagine the transformation that happened for that woman and her daughter that day. Imagine the change. No longer does the mother have the unpredictability of what will her daughter do that day. No longer does she have the concern of will this trial ever end? Now she can take her daughter out in public without shame and without fear. No longer will people look down their noses at her in judgment. Her daughter will no longer be a social outcast, but will be included. But not only is there transformation in the community, consider now that the mother has a relationship with her daughter that this demon would have prevented. What intimacy Jesus brings between this mother and daughter The daughter would have been a stranger, but now she can know her mother. Only Jesus can do that. This is not the only time for Jesus or for God to work in this region. In the Old Testament, we have a preview to this work of Christ. 1 Kings 17, we read of another Syrophoenician woman. Elijah goes to the region of Zarephath, and God points him to a widow who had one son. And this widow provides Elijah with her last meal. But Elijah tells her not to fear, but that God would not allow her flour to run out or her oil jug to go empty. And God provided for that widow and her son. They knew satisfaction during the famine. Well, further tragedy struck when the widow's son died, bringing much heartache, much misery to this woman. And Elijah stretches himself on the boy three times and prayed, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the child was brought back to life again, much to the mother's joy and a renewed faith in the God of Elijah. God continued to provide for this widow at Seraphath. The God of Elijah is Jesus Christ. He is the one who continues to provide. He satisfies even in the hardest of times. The Jews, they only ostracized. Their traditions label people as either clean or unclean simply because of who they were on the outside. They offered no hope, no forgiveness, no satisfaction. They left people under the burden of their sin, feeling guilt and shame. Jesus came so that all who put their faith in him would know satisfaction. The call to worship in John 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. 
Well, Jesus came to satisfy you. Even crumbs from Jesus is all you need because he is the bread of life. So whatever difficulty or whatever emptiness you're feeling, know the satisfaction that's found in Christ that's open to all his people. He truly is that merciful. This is what the disciples are learning. Their Jewish upbringing had taught them only about restrictions. But Jesus is teaching that in him there are no restrictions. Instead, there is satisfaction for those who place their faith in him. Wilhelm Hurst says, There are no more children and dogs. Instead, there is a single new humanity born anew in Christ. We who wear dogs are given a new status because the wall of hostility has been broken down and the love of Jesus has crossed every barrier. Jesus' kingdom stretches across this world to include every nation, not only the Jews. And this Syrophoenician woman is included, the one who was called a dog, and yet she had faith in Christ to see that he had mercy for her too. Well, this controversial meeting was a watershed moment. Those outside of Judaism, those deemed unclean, they can be included. For Jesus is not only the Savior to the Jews, but to the Gentiles too. And his good news is preached across the world. The children were not to keep the bread to themselves. Instead, the whole world was to benefit from God's saving mercy. From this region of Tyre and Sidon, Syria, in the city of Antioch, a church was formed that would send out missions to what would become modern-day Turkey and Cyprus. This would eventually reach all over Europe and across the world, including Bloomington, Indiana. It continues to have this reverberating effect, and it can have that effect in your lives too. Jesus' mercy is not restricted. He reaches out to you this day to satisfy you. So put your faith in him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the mercy that we have in Jesus Christ. Even though we don't deserve it, we thank you that Jesus reaches out to us, and in him we have our satisfaction, for he is the bread of life. And so, Lord, increase our faith in him, and any that don't know you today, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm books to Psalm 62a. Psalm 62a, here we see the psalmist finds that only God is trustworthy. He is a rock. He is a refuge. And you likewise are to put your confidence in God alone, in Jesus Christ. For only in him do you have rest and satisfaction. Let's stand and sing Psalm 62a.